0: Deaf, mad, and blind. Uh, This is the view as far as I can remember, madam. Yes, yes, this is it. When I pay for a view, I expect something more interesting than that. That is Torquay, madam. It's not good enough. (laughs) Well, may I ask what you were expecting to see out of a Torquay hotel bedroom window? (laughs) Sydney Opera House, perhaps? (laughs) The hanging gardens of Babylon? Herds of wildebeest sweeping majestically? (laughs) I expect to be able to see the sea. You can see the sea. It's over there between the land and the sky. I need a telescope to see that. Well, may I suggest that you consider moving to a hotel closer to the sea? Or preferably in it. Now, listen to me.
1: I'm not satisfied, but I've decided to stay here. However, I shall expect a reduction. Why? Because Krakatoa's not erupting at the moment?
0: Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show.
1: I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency, emerging markets and future tech in relatively plain
0: English. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out.
1: You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Now,
0: everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts, so you can always skip ahead or find it later.
1: So this episode, we're going to be covering a fair bit of news.
0: Uh, We're going to be having a feature on Australia's recent anti-encryption bill. Now, if you're from... United States or England or anywhere that's not Australia might seem like it's something that's not relevant, but it is. And we'll go into what that means for you. Um, In our privacy and security section, we're going to be covering uh, have I been pwned, seeing if you've been hacked Mm. or had your data leaked.
1: And we're also going to be talking about Memories of the Alhambra, which is a, a listener recommendation and a show on Netflix. So, what have you been up to this last couple of weeks?
0: Mate, not a lot, to be honest. Um, it's been pretty busy at work, and then, yeah, I can't say there's been, been, been a fair amount on. What, what about yourself?
1: Yeah, I've just been preparing for Christmas. It's nice. been quite busy as well. It all, it, yeah, it always seems when you get to the end of the year, you know that Christmas is coming, you know that everything's going to shut down, and you've just got to get there. And so I Mm. honestly feel like it was only yesterday that we recorded the last episode because the last Mm. couple of weeks have just gone so
0: quick. Mm, mm, mm. Have you bought all your Christmas presents yet? Most
1: of them. Nice, um, Did the big shop yesterday. It was really tough, as usual. I just don't know. I don't know how anyone goes to shopping centres for fun. And this is a gross generalisation, of course, but generally it's the the, the fairer sex, the, Mm -hmm. the females that will say words to the effect of... I'm gonna go shopping and like they're smiling when they say it, whereas like when I pitch a shopping it's it's kind of like do I do I go throw myself off a bridge or do I go to the shopping center because mm. they're kind of around the mm. same mm. same
0: point of enjoyment there's nothing like being stuck behind some like two people who are having a conversation stopped in the middle of an aisle and oh. you can't go around them
1: or on the escalator oh, you know those mate. people that get on the escalator and they just don't care.
0: Oh. And they were walking at an average pace until yeah. they got on the escalator. Yeah. It's all downhill. And there, they just
1: stop it. and they, they, they talk to each other. And no
0: amount of coughing can make a move? No, no. And you get British. Like, like, I you're I like, how close
1: me. do I get before it's like bordering on inappropriate, mm. you know, just to get the message mm. across that I want to get up the elevators. Because the sooner I get up here, the sooner I get out of this horrible place. Mm. There's just people everywhere. Mm. And they're all buying things. Mm. They're all consuming. And it's oh. 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 so I mean, at least this, this time we went into the city, which sounds worse, but it was actually better because you can you can walk down actual streets and uh, there just seems to be less people. Whereas a shopping centre it's just it's enclosed and people are only there for one reason and Chaos. that's to spend money and yeah, it is chaotic. Wow. Oh mate.
0: Well, it's over now. That's right. Have you done your shop? No, no. I bought a couple pairs of socks for my dad, yep. and I haven't figured anything else out yet. So mm. I'll get around to it. Just leave it till Boxing Day, mate. That's the thing. All the sales, I might just be like, guys, I love you so much. I want to get you something that's more value for money.
1: That's right. I want to get you twice as much. Yes. <laughs>
0: Spend the same amount of money, you get you twice. As much. See, that's that shows I really love my family. That's you know? right. Yeah. That's right. I want to get a good deal for them. That's right. Yeah.
1: Joe, is this show investment
0: advice? This is not investment or any other type of advice. Uh, We're not saying you should buy anything at all. Don't take advice from people who run a podcast on the internet. Full disclosure, we're both personally invested in a few different cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on the show. But if we talk about a project, it doesn't mean you should buy it.
1: So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out.
0: If you're new around here and new to crypto, check out our blockchain basic series. It starts from episode two and continues till episode eight.
1: It'll give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about. Let's jump into the news. Cool, yeah. So first bit of news, debt worldwide has hit a record of $184 trillion or to, to put it into something that's slightly more relevant, uh, that's about $86,000 per person.
0: And that's across the globe, which is insane. I mean, I i I saw a, a figure on another website that said that this was 225% of the global GDP. Wow. Wow.
1: And it, it's it's amazing when you think that about, what, 4 billion people live on about $5 a day?
0: It's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's saying the borrowing is led by US, China, Japan. This is data that's coming from the IMF, apparently. Um, this is insanely high. It's It's... trillion higher than their previous estimate. And they're using data that's from 190 countries dating back to the 1950s. Wow.
1: I guess the question we've got to ask at this point is, does this debt even really mean anything anymore? $184 trillion is just... You can't even picture that amount in your head. Are we really expecting to pay back $184 trillion worth of debt mm. because everything seems to be tending towards the debt. Like, the debt just keeps going up, you know. It's not like it's reducing. So, at what point does it just kind of become completely detached from reality?
0: Mm. It's true. Know? Is it a big game of musical chairs? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that the, the wealthier countries are the ones that are the most indebted. Um, yeah. So, the ones who borrow the most are the wealthiest, or quote-unquote wealthiest. But then I guess you get the – that's the same in – if you look in just your town. Yep. The wealthy people, you know, the people who are quote-unquote wealthy are the ones who lease all these fancy cars and yeah. get mortgaged to the hilt for this fancy house that they can't really afford. Very true. Whereas you've got the Warren Buffetts of the world who just drive a regular car and are, live in a pretty modest house. Yep. But maybe it's just, yeah, ostensibly the wealthiest countries.
1: Yeah, I just I'd love to dig a little bit more into this and and maybe look at what happened in nineteen early late nineteen twenties, early nineteen thirties as well. Because I've been reading. You mean
0: Great Depression?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've been I've been reading a lot about this recently. Um, more just about the state of our financial system at the moment. And Alex Alex Fetsky actually put up a really good article about a lot of the indicators and just the age of excess and what's mm-hmm. going on in our world in general. Um, but yeah, like I just, I I just wonder whether a similar thing, on a, obviously on a small scale, was happening in the before the Great Depression, because back then there were all these extravagant parties mm-hmm. going on, extravagant mm-hmm. houses, a lot of people were, like cars were a brand new thing, a lot of people were owning cars, and then it, it, when the Great Depression hit, it all came out that a lot of this was built on debt, and a lot of this was built on excessive spending. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are other financial factors at play as well, but yeah, I just. Are we just seeing history repeat itself again 90 Mm. years Mm. later? I wonder. Mm. Or is it completely detached from reality? Because if it's completely detached from reality, then what does dead even really mean anymore? And is it
0: just going to go on forever? That's right. And don't worry about anything, just carry on as you were? Yeah. Next piece is kind of interesting. Now, if you want to dive into the technicals, open the article up yourself, Um, just covering the very high level. So computers could soon run cold with no heat generated uh, it's worth checking it out but basically there are three breakthroughs that have happened in the last year ones in transistors ones in superconductors and ones in chip design um, and these are so interesting in fact that we may see cold running computers before too long now what's the problem at the moment
1: yeah. So, the problem at the moment is that when you've got heat, so the, the heat's essentially the loss of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, it's energy that's radiating out, radiating out from somewhere and escaping. Mm-hmm. What that does is that reduces a machine's computational power. Mm-hmm. So, the mm-hmm. more the hotter it gets, the harder it is for the machine to compute, mm-hmm. the more it's losing just to, just to essentially the ether. Mm-hmm. And it also costs a lot of money to cool things mm-hmm. so they can compute better. So, You'll generally see like on a on a PC or like, well, let's take, let's take a laptop, for example. A laptop will have a little cooler in it. Some have fans, some have vacuum cooling now. Mm. Um, and that's all designed to try and keep the processes in a laptop as cool as they can so they can do the most work and get the mm. most bang for your buck. Mm. Then you get a PC and PCs generally have like heat sinks, bigger coolers, all sorts of stuff. But some people run water cooling on their PCs. And what a water cooler allows you to do is to essentially keep the heat down around like the 20, 25 degree mark. Whereas with a fan or a heat sink, it's more like 40 degrees, 45 degrees. And so with that extra 20 degrees, you've got essentially 20 degrees worth of wiggle room where you can try and push more out of Mm -hmm. your chip. So people will do what's called overclocking. Mm. And overclocking, more generally, yes, it'll raise the the, the heat, the temperature, because it's doing more work. But you'll get more performance out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's this kind of battle between managing heat and performance, mm. and you know, because at the moment it gets like say seventy or eighty degrees
0: then that becomes unsafe and you Mm. could burn your your chip out and do a lot of damage. So, yeah, I guess that means that there's a desire on all fronts to make chips and um, computing chips work better and also to make cooling more efficient. So there is a few different innovations they're making. But um, one of them is uh, the US Department of Energy's uh, Berkeley um, Lab he's proposing a, a material called sodium bismuthide they're using this for a new transi- type of transistor design and it basically says that they can car- it can carry a charge with nearly zero loss right at room temperature so no heat which is kind of cool so it's superconductor like but it doesn't need the same amount of cooling as a superconductor which is kind of cool um, there's another there's another area of interest called spintronics and uh, which is like magnetically encoded information which can be transported without heat production, but mm. like it uses the magnetic properties of electrons, and um, which is called electron spin. But um, that's an interesting area to do with sort of creating efficiency gains in information transfer, which is sort of interesting, which is kind of cool. Mm. Now, I don't understand a lot about that, as is very clear. But the third breakthrough, which is really interesting in chip design, it's where you optimize the chip design for better cooling. So by having spirals or mazes that coolant can travel through, um, wow. So those would be zim- those would be embedded on the chip surface to cool instead of ad- adding um, heat sinks and stuff like that. Yeah, um, or sticking you know cooling stuff on there. So actually designing chips to be cooler. That's inc-
1: I've never thought of that before, but that makes so much sense because at the moment for anyone who's built a PC, you know that you stick your CPU down first, then you put some thermal paste on top of the top of the CPU, mm-hmm. then you put a whack a big heat sink onto it, mm. and the idea is that. Um, the heat from the CPU will radiate through the thermal paste into the heatsink, mm. and so you're literally sinking the heat into a big chunk of metal. Mm. Um, and you'll generally have a fan on top of that, which mm. tries to cool the heatsink as well. But that's all external. But like, if you can, yeah, run like cooling material through the actual CPU and cool it before it even radiates out, then uh, you could r- operate at a lower temperature.
0: Mm. So the long and short of it, I guess, is that things are going to get a lot better in the future, yeah. and they're already pretty good. But, yeah, expect, expect faster stuff as we go on. Awesome. So a press release on PR Newswire um, came out, and it was saying that a company called Good Money have secured a $30 million Series A financing round led by Galaxy Digital's EOS VC fund the headline is, a digital banking platform with a conscience is democratizing the banking industry and using its profits to create a better world.
1: Yeah, so Good Money is saying that they're providing value-based banking services aimed towards uh, a rapidly emerging neo-banking market. And so they feature a FDIC, insured savings account, that will generate a 2% yield. They want to have free ATMs nationally, no overdraft fees, and the lowest consumer loan rates in the country essentially to help Americans get out of debt. Like what we were talking about before, there is a big problem with debt.
0: Mm. So, in a historic first, they're saying every customer will receive equity when they open an account and it will become an owner of the banking platform. So, that's a way that they're they're trying to, you know, quote-unquote democratize access to ownership and wealth creation, la-la-la. And you can earn additional equity by installing the app, setting up a direct deposit or referring friends, things like that. But... They're putting 50% of the platform's profits to, um, yeah, social and economic uh, projects, you know, looking to solve inequality and uh, renewable energy and environmental stuff. And the founding team have also apparently pledged half their equity to philanthropy and impact as well.
1: Yeah, so it's a really good message. I mean, essentially, they're they're saying, look, we want to build a platform where you own the bank. Mm. I think that's kind of their message Mm. yeah and so i mean they've they've done enough to get a 30 million dollar series a investment from uh galaxy digital's eos vc fund Mm. so i assume there's going to be some form of eos kind of cryptocurrency aspect to this Mm. Um,
0: it's kind of interesting so it's it's built uh, they've got a cool looking app and you get uh, a really cool looking card as well um and and yeah the app looks pretty cool but yeah you can it looks like you can invest in stocks and shares and things like that um within uh within your bank and
1: cool we'll have to we'll have to keep watching that so next bit of news um seven southern european union nations have united to take a lead on blockchain adoption
0: so um France Italy Spain Malta Cyprus Portugal and Spain Spain twice Spain is twice one means Catalonia <laughs> <laughs> so they signed a joint declaration to promote the adoption of blockchain in the region to, quote-unquote, transform their economies, which probably need it.
1: Yeah, they further committed to collaborating on development of the technology in order to become, quote-unquote, a leading region in this sector.
0: So, so, yeah, they signed this declaration in in Brussels, which is the the belly of the beast. Um, yeah, they've, they've
1: kind of trotted out all the usual... Buzzwords, increase efficiency, transparency, government services. Game changer. Game changer. Enhance services for citizens. Privacy. Privacy. Yeah. I mean, look, bringing accountability and privacy for the end users.
0: Which is a lovely sentiment. Mm, mm.
1: Maybe they could discuss that with our government.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: And they said this can result not only in the enhancements of e-government services, but also increase transparency and reduce administrative burdens, better customs collection, and better access to public information, the declaration says. So, essentially, it's, it's just another, you know, we're going to give blockchain a go announcement. We think it has all these benefits. Um, but I guess we'll just have to wait now. We're going to
0: try and build it and discover that it's real
1: difficult. That's right. We'll probably build our own platform, and everyone will have to use our platform, and it's going to end up like all these other private blockchains. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of buzzword exhaustion at the moment, isn't there? Yeah. In the community, there really is. Like a, a more and more, you can only say revolutionary, transforming, innovative, blah 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 for so long before it just kind of becomes meaningless. Anyway, what's, what's uh, Calistone doing?
0: Mm. So this, Calistone is a, is a global fund transaction network. Um, it's a UK-based company. And they said that they're going to switch their entire system to the blockchain in May 2019. Um, so that's going to be for fund trade clearing services. So yeah, they... Uh Calistone processes mutual fund trades for over 1,700 financial companies, including J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Schroders, Invesco, um, and a bunch of other companies as well.
1: Okay, so what is a mutual fund for anyone listening that doesn't know what that is?
0: So, yeah, it's just a big pool of money that people put together to, to go somewhere. Um, so right. you can invest in a mutual fund, and, and a mutual fund will invest in a bunch of different things. Um and, you know, they've got fees to them and all that sort of thing as well. But, yeah, basically, um, they're going to use a shared ledger to automate the 9 million messages that sent between these counterparties every month. So, that's, re- like, reportedly, it's worth over £170 billion.
1: Yeah, and so, it went, when you ask that inevitable question, well, why does this need a blockchain... Uh, Reuters has said that the incumbent system requires three separate messages to be sent digitally between enterprises whenever they bind to a fund. First is to place an order, the second is a receipt, and the third is to confirm the price. The more you can automate, the more you de-risk, the more you streamline, the more you speed up. That was the the Chief Marketing Officer of Calistone,
0: Andrew Tomlinson. So they've cited data from the big four audit firm Deloitte, which estimates that adopting blockchain could actually um, save the global fund industry, um, excluding the US market, 3.4 billion pounds every year. So that'd be optimizing trading and settlement processes. Um, So yeah, the fund industry's got got rising costs, which they put on to investors in fees. And and in part, there's extra regulation after 2008 financial crisis. So yeah, they're just looking to make things better.
1: Mm, so I guess these are financial products and there are multiple parties. I'm not sure what the trust situation is between these parties. And I assume there's a whole lot of manual checking that has to go on and, and settling obviously takes quite a long time. So, yeah, I could, I could see the benefit. Again, I hope this is a joint effort. I mean, it, there, there are the mention of a few other parties in this already. Um, but I do hope that if they're not going to do this on a public network that at least it's going to be a mm. kind of consortium network between a bunch of players because, yeah, otherwise it'll just be another company saying, use our network and don't use anyone else's mm. network.
0: Well, it's worth noting that Callistone are actually part uh, members of the Hyperledger um, project, which is like an open source blockchain sort of tools, set of tools, suite of tools for mm. uh, enterprise and just regular people. We'll see what happens with that. Mm.
1: So Facebook has embarked on an aggressive hiring spree to woo crypto experts to expand its blockchain group amid speculation the social media monopoly is considering launching its own cryptocurrency.
0: So we talked about it back in episode 25, but Facebook formed its uh, blockchain unit in April um, with the former president of PayPal and vice president and messenger, David Marcus. So he's a longtime cryptocurrency advocate and a former board member at Coinbase. So we, yeah, in episode 25, we were talking about when he left the board of Coinbase mm. um, and, yeah, so this blockchain group now has 40 employees, apparently, including a half-dozen ex-PayPal execs that he poached. This group also includes people who've worked on Google Pay and Samsung Pay, um, which is pretty mm. pretty sneaky.
1: I think we have talked about this before, too. We were basically saying that a lot of people use Facebook's Messenger at the moment, and they use Facebook services. And if they were to make a play in this space and say we're going to roll out Facebook pay and you can pay other people directly in Messenger and we're going to support a bunch of merchants. They could really get a lot of traction Mm. out of that. Um, And so, yeah, it's like... It's not that surprising to see it come into fruition, but it will be interesting to see how they roll this out if they do roll this mm.
0: out. So, so, yeah, apparently it's pretty stealthy, according to Cheddar's Alex Heath. He said it's definitely going to be some kind of blockchain based cryptocurrency payments. Heath also said that they got policy people in DC to ramp it up. And, yeah, apparently they're trying to hire a bunch of crypto savvy engineers, actively recruiting, trying to scoop up crypto startups, which are at the white paper level or. You know, just trying to find, you know, developers because there's so few developers available and so many people are wanting these talented cryptographers mm. and academics. So apparently Facebook's going really hard at uh, hiring them.
1: Yeah, I guess the, the big issue, and he actually points this out himself uh, further on the article, the big issue is that a lot of people don't really trust Facebook anymore. Mm. There's been a big move away from... Uh, people using Facebook, people putting a lot of what they used to put on Facebook there anymore. Um, Facebook has suffered a pretty significant hit to its PR reputation, and I also wonder how many of the the people using they say use Facebook actually still use Facebook because mm. I know a lot of people, including myself, don't really use it anymore. Mm. Even people that have it,
0: yeah. So, it's the same journalist said that a lot of the people got into this industry because of the centralization and the data misuse of companies like Facebook. So, yeah, the idea of Facebook creating a cryptocurrency and a digital economy within its ecosystem is either incredibly exciting if you talk to some people or one of the scariest things in the world if you talk to others. So it's polarizing, um, but they're apparently actively building it up. Mm. Um, He's saying we can expect to see Facebook buy some companies up in the crypto space uh, next year.
1: Yeah, so I guess it just depends on what what form it would take, whether they're going to use something like Bitcoin and just riff off it or if they're actually going to create their own cryptocurrency Um, and if that'll even really be a cryptocurrency at all is another question Um, because it's at that point... Like, if Facebook do this, the question is, are they a cryptocurrency or are they just another bank? Like, are they more just creating a digital currency? If it's denominated in their money, are they really just creating like a digital reserve bank? within their app. Because mm-hmm.
0: um, they've got more users than there are, you know, people in any one country. Yep. Yep.
1: And, and they're not wrong that there's a market for this. Like, the, the market is still completely wide open for a global unit of exchange. Bitcoin, as much as we'd like to say that Bitcoin has cornered that market, they haven't. You know, because you're not, you're not going out to every store in the world paying with Bitcoin at the moment. You've really got to seek places out. So it's not there yet. And really, this whole scaling debate and everything else over the last few years has meant that Bitcoin's kind of spun its wheels and there hasn't been a lot of adoption. There's been a lot of distraction. So I still definitely think, and it's scary to think this, but I think the market is still wide open for someone to step in here. And Facebook has a very big existing user base. Like it or not, they still have a lot of active users who do trust them, who really just prize convenience over everything else. And so, I mean, I was sitting at an exchange place yesterday, trying to exchange some Australian dollars for some Japanese yen, because mm-hmm. I know someone who's traveling overseas, and that was going to be the Christmas present. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the experience was so bad. What happened? I spent... so walked up to the counter and I said, hey, I've got $50. I just want to exchange it for Japanese yen. And so he spent probably the first five minutes on his phone trying to calculate exactly how much he should actually be giving me. And then he said, sir, I need to call someone else to come down and and uh, and help me. And so I said, okay. And for another 10 minutes later, someone rocked up with the Japanese yen and just handed it to me. And I handed it inside the booth first Then he... Counted it and then handed it back to me, um, but that so the whole experience took about fifteen to twenty minutes to to transfer fifty dollars worth of Australian to fifty dollars worth of Japanese. But it wasn't fifty dollars worth of Japanese; it was more like forty five dollars or forty dollars worth of Japanese because there was a ten percent fee in the, wow. in the transfer. So ten percent, I lost ten percent just in the transfer. And so the whole time I was there with my wife and the whole time I was, I was standing there, I was like, this is why we need a global payment method. This is why Bitcoin is such a big deal and cryptocurrency is such a big deal because I shouldn't have to worry about transferring mm. from one so, someone's currency to someone else's currency. I should just be able to go around the world and pay with one currency. Mm. It's a digital age. I can go around the world and access one internet. I can check one email from anywhere in the world. Why should my payments be any different? Why should there be all these fees and Mm. transfers and blah, 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 blah? Um, And the fact that I couldn't just say to this person, here's some Bitcoin. I know Japan has a lot of Bitcoin, but there's still a whole bunch of onboarding that needs to go on to do that. Means that Bitcoin is not there yet, but someone will step in and do it. And look, Facebook, the fact is Messenger is installed on probably two, three billion people's phones. WhatsApp as well. A lot of people use WhatsApp. WhatsApp's owned by Facebook. All it would take is for them to put a new tab on both of those apps saying Facebook payments or pay in Facecoin mm, or whatever, mm. you know. Um, they've got the money and the marketing clout to get merchants on board. It could all happen pretty quick. Mm. And if if that became the global payment, payment method, then Bitcoin suddenly goes from being a solution of like, well, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general, as we know it, go from being the solution for global payments to being like a fringe, techie, nerdy, libertarian mm-hmm. kind of coin, but that that kind of gets relegated mm-hmm. to the fringe mm-hmm. again. Do you get? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like we, and so I think I think the Facebook play is really smart,
0: and it could work. You wonder whether they're going to build some kind of you know fraud prevention thing in there because. If they do any kind of reversible transactions, it's suddenly going to have to open up a massive team yeah. for all the fraud that's going to happen. Yeah. Like, it's going to be tricky. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's a double-edged sword too, isn't it? Because if they make it more like traditional cryptocurrencies, then there's no fraud prevention. Mm. Like, well, there's built-in encryption and prevention with your private keys, but um, if someone gets a hold of them and sends all your money to someone else...
0: Oh, because it's all going to be locked you can to your do. Facebook account, isn't it? Yeah. Oh... Yeah, it's going to be us. Yeah, you can see why some people are going to love that idea and some people are terrified of it. Yeah.
1: And I guess it's why something like good money, which we covered before, which may end up being like a crypto bank, why people are talking about those kinds of ideas and and saying they've got some significant merit. Mm. Like someone that can hold your crypto in custody. I know that's not really what we want people to be doing with it because there's a lot of power in being your own bank, but There's a lot of risk Mm. as well. So, yeah, it's interesting, man. I think this next year is going to be really interesting to watch what Facebook does, Mm. if anything, with it. I would not be surprised to see that Google and Microsoft are also thinking about this. Mm. Alibaba, I mean, they've got Mm. Alipay. Mm. um, And that's that's a big deal in China. I dare say they're probably looking to expand that to other countries as well. Mm. So, watch this space.
0: Speaking of blockchain payments, uh, the CEO of BitPay says that blockchain payments mass adoption is three to five years away.
1: Yeah, so the CEO of BitPay, Stephen Pear, has said that speculation on future adoption drives Bitcoin's
0: price more than actual utility. So yeah, he was saying a very big component of you know, the Bitcoin price is certainly speculation. It's investors that are speculating on the future usage and adoption of it. And he's sure it's a small component of... Of the prices, yeah, actually utility.
1: Yeah, and he said that uh, such adoption is probably under half a decade away and said that uh, I used to say 10 years, but now I think it's more like three to five years. And so you can go into a restaurant, a retail establishment, and just everybody's going to expect that in that store, you're going to be able ex- to accept a blockchain payment. And I, I, I think he's, he's probably right, You know, especially in the fact that a lot of this has been driven by speculation. You look at the big price run up last year and you look at a lot of the interest. A lot of the interest is around trading. A lot of the interest is around, mm. oh, the price is going to go up.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and it's all driven by speculation and a, and a, and a desire to make money. Um, and I think it's a big problem. You know, There's been such a focus on the price rising, hodling, making money, all that kind of stuff that people have really forgotten that the reason that crypto is such a big deal in the first place is it because it let us send money to each other without a bank. Mm. That was like a use case number 1, you know. And the Bitcoin cash guys for all their flaws, I think and and look a lot of other cryptocurrencies too, but them in particular I think got this in that you know, if you don't have the way, if you don't have a way to send it to each other um without a bank, then what have you got? Mm. So He's exactly right that the focus needs to move away from trading, trying to make money, speculating, holding. To okay, what are you doing to actually get this thing used? You yeah. know, are you going into every store and asking them if they take Bitcoin? Because I do. I ask them now. I say, "Oh, do you take Bitcoin?" They almost always say no. You know, but sometimes you'll have a conversation. Then they'll say, "Should I?" Like, well, yeah, you should. Like, because it. it, it okay, well, what will it do for me? And you say, "Well, first thing, it lets you send." Let's people send money to each other without a bank. People can essentially have their own money and they can send it to each other without a bank. And if you're in the UK and I'm here, I can send it to them over there within about 10 seconds. And there's no fees. There's no intermediaries involved. It's completely peer-to-peer. It's like how money should be. And that's all you really need to say. And they're like, oh, wow, that sounds really good. What should I do? And I, I generally point towards travel by bit because travel by bit are the company that are doing things here in Brisbane. But... You know, you can point them to whoever you want. You can point them to BitPay if you mm. want. Um, but without that, without like asking the question, pushing for merchants, trying to take payments yourself wherever, wherever you can, how do we ever think that this is going to mm-hmm. get any kind of adoption?
0: There's got to be demand. And if yeah. you're not making any demands, then there's going to be no demand.
1: Because all the speculation is driven on it becoming a method of payment within three to five years, really. That's what the speculation is about. Everyone's like, one day, it will, one day it will be this thing. You know, everyone will use it to pay things. But that just doesn't happen by itself. Mm. No matter how much you say. You can't sit around and just wait for one day it just happens. That's right. You know, and who do you expect's going to do it? If not you, like the people that are passionate about this now, mm. sitting around and holding it, it does nothing for anyone, really. That's true. You're actually just contributing to, to it not being adopted.
0: So, what do you need home. to do this Christmas? Give a bit of, give, give a bit of um, Dogecoin to your loved ones? You know,
1: I think it's a better, better than giving. We, we gave Christmas presents last year and that was <laughs> like...
0: <laughs> and Sorry, mum. <laughs> you, you're worth nothing. <laughs> they're,
1: yeah, they're not worth much now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess if you give them this Christmas... And even there we go. We were even doing the same thing because we were like, oh, it's not worth much. You know, it's not worth much, but it might be worth more later on. Mm. Like that whole mentality is part of the problem, mm. I think, because we're not giving it to them to spend. We're giving it to them as like, a, just hold on to this. One day it'll be worth mm. a lot more. Um, and so we don't really take the time to say, here's your wallet. You know, send send a little bit to me, get familiar with it. Oh, look how e- how easy was that? And this is where you can spend it. You can spend it at some of these places, and this is why it's important. This Mm. is why you should be spending it. Um, Yeah, we're not really doing that. I think we've got to if we actually want this thing to take
0: off. Well, There was an interesting study that was published by the Cambridge Centre for Alternative Finance, um, and they stated that the number of verified cryptocurrency users nearly doubled this year. Which says, despite the you know the the decline in prices, the user base increase could you know signal a potential recovery during twenty
1: nineteen. Mm. Mm.
0: Slow and steady wins the race.
1: Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here.
0: Why not drop in our Telegram channel and say hello?
1: You can find that at FOMO show
0: slash telegram now we've got a listener recommendation of a tv show that you can find on netflix it's called memories of the alhambra um so yeah thanks to kelly for shouting that out on our telegram group i started watching it this afternoon and never actually got around to finishing it because i was ill um (laughs) but yeah no it was really cool really interesting plot actually starting out it's in uh it's in uh, south korean um And it's got subtitles, so you can't really multitask when you're watching it. But it's really interesting about this um, South Korean investment manager sort of dude who goes to some town in the middle of Spain to try and seek out the mysterious founder of a groundbreaking AR game, which is about medieval battles in um, this random place in Spain. And yeah, so he goes to meet the creator of the game, and then yeah, he meets the, uh, the the sister of the the person who creates the game at this hotel, and it is a mysterious incident, and the the border between the real world and the AR world, which is built by this dude, begins to blur. Wow. So yeah, they, um, Kelly mentioned the graphics are amazing, and yeah, they looked pretty cool. They've done a lot of like motion tracking and put... 3d models within the real world and it's they've made it look pretty cool so it's worth taking a look at if you enjoy future future like a vision of the future cool yeah it's kind of cool i'll
1: have to check it out i mean yeah when you said that there was subtitles i i normally multitask when i watch things as well so i have to pick a time where i'm really just settling in to watch something
0: Mm. Hey, this assistance and access bill came into into being in Australia. Now, a lot of people probably haven't heard of it. Those who have probably didn't really care that much. or Unless you're into privacy, you probably didn't really pay much attention to this when it came through the news. It was something to do with saving the country against paedophiles and terrorists. Mm. What is this assistance and access bill?
1: Yeah, okay. So this... This is what it was called, the anti-encryption bill, like in a lot of news articles and things like that. And that is definitely a part of it. But essentially, it's a new bill, which, is, which Australia has introduced and has now been passed in our parliament. It was introduced and passed very quickly. Um, and it basically allows any intelligence agency or uh, police officer to request or demand certain things from pretty much anyone with a
0: computer. So, what kind of things can they make you do?
1: Yeah. So, okay. First things first, in the act, they talk about a designated communications provider. Right. Right. And the act basically says that it's a person who provides an electronic service that has one or more end users in Australia. Okay. So, if you're any kind of company that, that provides a service to someone in Australia and you use the internet or software or anything else, you fall under this. But then it goes further. It actually says that it could be also anyone who manufactures, supplies, installs equipment, data devices or software um, for any of this stuff. And it doesn't just include the director of a business. It can also be the employee, contractor, or even like a system admin for any of these Hmm.
0: organizations.
1: So it's got a really, really, really broad applicability to, to everyone. Um, So that's the first thing that you need to know. So essentially, if you're involved in any way in technology, this bill probably applies to you, especially if you're in Australia. Um, And what they can make you do is essentially... They can make you do a number of things. It's an incredibly long list, but the important things that they can make you do, uh, we'll just run through a few of them. The Act allows them to re- to demand that you remove one or more forms of electronic protection in any software under your control. Wow. Uh, install, maintain, test, and use software or equipment. So that's the intelligence agency directing you to do any of those things. Mm-hmm. Provide access to your facility, equipment, devices, services, software, applications, or communications. Mm-hmm. Test, modify, deploy, and maintain technology which they install on your hardware or software. Wow. Modify your business model or service. Wow. Cease using certain providers in your software and begin using other ones which they supply or stipulate. Sheesh. And conceal the fact that you've done any of those things from anyone as long as you don't have to be directly dishonest.
0: Oh, so this is a good thing and it's protecting us against terrorists. So, what's the big deal? Why is this a problem? (laughs)
1: <laughs> For those of you who can't see, Joey's being very sarcastic right now. Um, <laughs> but look, it's, it's a problem because it's an incredibly broad and invasive list of powers. Mm. Um, mm. And, and the issue with the Act is that there are a few exceptions to what can be done and, mm. and what, we can't, what can't be done, but those exceptions aren't that well made out and there's also a lot of secrecy around mm. this whole thing.
0: So if I'm a business, say uh, a messaging service, so the government can come up, come up to me and say, look, you've got two users in Australia. Yeah. You need to weaken your stuff. You need to give us a not a backdoor backdoor. You need to hide the fact from all your investors and any of your employees and stuff that you're doing it. Yeah. And, you know, what happens if I get hacked because of a third, like a, a backdoor and my users want to sue me? What happens then?
1: Yeah, so the Act does give you some protections so it does say that if there's a civil action against you you can use this as a Mm defence and this defence wasn't in the bill the first part but they, Mm. they put this in before it got passed which is good but yeah, so tucked away in the in the bill is, is an immunity provision and that basically states that you can't be liable to any third party for anything you do in compliance with one of these notices mm-hmm. and we'll go into the notices in a little bit. But essentially, if someone sues you and says, you know, you lost all my data or so you, uh, someone hacked you and I, I got exposed and all my credit card details is now with someone else and they've spent things elsewhere, you can say, well... That did happen, but it was because I was told to implement this weakness by the government.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The problem with that, of course, is that if you get sued, you have to have that argument. you have to spend a whole bunch of legals going to court, you have to show that notice, and then you have to prove that that was actually the reason
0: but then you get immunity from prosecution
1: you get you get civil immunity right, okay so right. if, like if if something criminal is done, there's not necessarily that immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but civil immunity means that you can essentially plead this as a defense. But there's a lot of issues with that, obviously, because how do you know how, and how does the court know that this was all because of what you were told to do under one of these notices? Wow. Um, you'd have to prove that. And it's because there there's, there's a number of secrecy provisions and a number of national security provisions in this bill the government may not, the agencies may not be willing to share any more information with the courts at all Mm. about what went on, especially if there's still an operation ongoing. So it may become quite hard for you to prove that it was because of this Mm. notice that you got served with um, because there are a number of provisions around what you're allowed to share and what you're not allowed to share and there's a lot you're not allowed to share with anyone else under pain of imprisonment under this bill. The other thing to say is too, your immunity only applies when it's not voluntary. So, there's a voluntary um, notice which you can be served with, and it's essentially an agency or the police asking you to do something for them, but saying, Look, this isn't, we're not forcing you to do this, but we'd love your help. If you comply with that, and then later on what you do for them means that there's a vulnerability and something gets exposed, you're not protected at all. So, you can be completely civilly liable for voluntarily cooperating with the authorities. Hmm. And they won't pay your legals either. So mm. while you're quote-unquote immune, you'll still have to pay the money to have the argument until you get to the point where a court throws it out. Um, so best case, you're still up for a significant amount of money in legal fees because of this.
0: Wow.
1: So the way that they're doing all of this is through what's called uh, a technical assistance request, a technical assistance notice, or a technical capability notice. And these are three different types of notices which they can
0: serve you with. So in a nutshell, what are the, each of these three?
1: Yeah. So technical assistance request is is basically a voluntary request. And it's a voluntary request uh, that they can make when there's something the agency or the police need, which relate to national security, Australia's foreign interests, economic well-being or security, security of information or enforcing criminal law. And the criminal law can be Australian law or international law. So this isn't just covering Australian law. If another government comes to the Australian government, especially if they're in the Five Eyes, for example...
0: um, The Five Eyes being Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, United States.
1: Yeah, exactly. And look, there's a lot of speculation, and and look, it's probably not that speculative. It's pretty, pretty certain that this is... A mechanism by which all of the other Five Eyes nations will be able to Mm. basically enforce their intelligence objective through Australia. So this
0: is a gateway for information to get to these five countries.
1: Yeah, like it's no real secret that we are the test bed for Five Eyes. Mm. It's been that way for quite a while um they'll deny it of course but that that's just it is the way it is that's what the facts say so yeah the first one's voluntary so i won't spend too much time on that but the second one is what's called a technical assistance notice and it's quite similar to the technical assistance request Mm. except it's compulsory you know if you're if you're served with this you have to comply essentially. Now, it must be in relation to those objectives we talked about earlier and it must be a listed actor thing as well, which we also talked about earlier. And it's really focused on what you're already able to do. So essentially, what will generally happen with this is let's say you run like an online service, which lets you upload and store your conf- some client's confidential documents. Mm-hmm. If currently you've got that encrypted, but you know you've got the keys and it's just secured and you had access to it under a technical assistance notice, you would be required to give that data over if you're asked. So right. even though it's someone else's data, it's confidential, you'd be required to give that over. If you store them in an encrypted form and don't have a way to encrypt them yourself, this notice won't compel you to build a new system which can decrypt everything and give that over. Right. It's basically just asking you to do something which you're already able to do. Okay. So it's kind of like a more invasive warrant. Hmm. So generally, you've got to go get a warrant for a lot of this stuff they've there's still provisions around having warrants in this bill but the warrant doesn't have to relate directly to what they're asking you to do so it's just enough that an agency has one warrant and they can say well this is in relation to that warrant um, they don't actually have to serve you with a warrant they just serve you with a notice wow because um, a warrant generally you have to get a judge's approval for' right. this one,
0: you don't wow so- wait you don't have to issue any kind of warrant it's just the agency can come up with these.
1: The agency can come up with these. Yep. Um, generally, you've got it's got to get the signature of the head of the agency, mm-hmm. so it might be the director general of the agency or an attorney or something like that. But yeah, it, you don't have to go to the court to get signing off on mm-hmm. this. You can just serve it straight as long as as long as there's a warrant somewhere. So let's say there's a let's say there's a suspected terrorist, right? And the court issues a warrant which allows an agency to to take all means necessary to track down the suspected terrorist mm-hmm. or even a warrant which is just generally in relation to powers for terrorism, then that's, that's enough. All that would have to be done is to refer to that warrant and say, we need you to build capabilities because we've got this warrant and we're probably going to have warrants like it afterwards as well and we need you to assist us. Mm. That's enough. So, it doesn't really have to be in relation to you at all. There are some additional requirements. So, there are some things that need to be done. It must be approved by the Commissioner of the Australian Federal Police before it can be issued. It must be given in writing. You need to be advised of your obligations and you do have a right to make a complaint. But the two important parts is that the notice must be reasonable and proportionate and compliance with the notice must be practicable and technically feasible. Hmm. And those are the two areas that it has to check off on every time. Right, okay, and that's where the discretion comes in. So we'll talk about that later when uh, we talk about how you might deal with this if you serve with it. But the last one's this technical capability notice. Okay, And uh, so if you've got the you've got the technical assistance notice, which is like we want you to do something that you can already do, mm-hmm. but a technical capability notice is we want you to do something that you can't do currently. Wow. So. Basically, it's you still have to comply with the relevant objectives and listed acts or things tests so and you still have to be reasonable proportionate technically feasible all the things the other notices have to be but there are some differences so you'll be required to implement some solutions that meet the surveillance and access requirements of the agencies mm-hmm. um, and this TCN the technical capability notice will be more like a brief it'll be more like like you've got you know if you're a compu- if you're a software development company, And a client comes to you and says, this is what I want done. Mm -hmm. Here's my list of things I want done. And then you're like, okay, here you go. Here's my quote. And then then we'll build this for you. It's kind of like that with the agency. They send you this technical um, capability notice and they say, this is all the things we want done. Go away and build it. Wow. So, some feasible uses for, for this kind of stuff under the legislation would be for example, building a program which can decrypt and feed all the communications between users of a platform directly to the agency without their knowledge. Right. That's one thing. Um, requiring all key pairs used in a platform to encrypt the data to be stored somewhere. So that can be sent to the agency as okay. well. They could require a software company to re-engineer their software to use agency approved data management services or solutions mm. they could require a company which uses software for its day-to-day business to cease using that software and use something else that's agency approved okay. or that they have a that they have a ba- existing backdoor into already
0: wow um, so that means they could actually force your company to if even if you're not some kind of service provider or anything like that if you're a company and you're using Accounting software X that yep. encrypts your data. They're saying no. Use this Australian government-approved accounting, so- yes. accounting software.
1: Yes, wow. definitely. Yeah. So if you are if you are anyone that's engaged in those things we talked about at the start, which yeah. is basically anyone that uses technology, um, they can come to you and say, "We want you to do this because it will it may help us in enforcing one of our warrants or our national security objectives." Mm. So I would not be surprised to see down the line, some blanket technological capability notices going out to companies saying, you are required to, if you use any of these programs, to swap to these programs. And the inference with those programs would be, of course, that the agency has a direct line to their data.
0: Wow. So can I hazard a guess that if this is working successfully, this act, we will never hear about what is happening. Yeah. We just know that... It is possible, yeah. and it is. We have to assume that the surveillance state is asking all of the major tech companies to create new features in their software or in their systems. But we won't know how often it's been done. We won't know which companies are affected, and we won't know if it affects us. Yep, okay, pretty, that, cool. that's that's right. pretty much
1: exactly right. right. And the, so you can you can begin to see the issue then if they've got the if they've got the power to issue these notices, which basically allow them to do almost whatever they want, Mm -hmm. as long as it's in the interest of, quote unquote, national security Mm -hmm. or criminal justice, Mm -hmm. then you start saying, well, okay, let's say I'm an international company, right? And I've got three different companies who are vying to have me use their software. Mm -hmm. And two of them are international, one's Australian. Almost instantly, I would look at that and I would say, well, I don't know this Australian company, and I don't know whether they've been served with any of these notices or not. And they may not have been, but the very fact that they can be, the very fact that, that an agency can ask them to build backdoors into their software, mm-hmm. can ask them to, re, to use agency-approved software to build basically whatever they want in the interest of national security, uh, under threat of imprisonment or heavy, heavy fines means I'm not going to use that. Why would I, why would I use Australian software if mm. if I know that the government has that capability to breach not only my data but my users' data? Because that's that's the big issue here. It's mm. a, it's a, it's a huge liability point, uh, not just because it's giving a it would be giving a foreign government access to confidential information, but it would also be creating attack vectors for hackers to access that information mm. and potentially result in a massive data breach from my company. And if, like, if I'm a European company, for example, I've got to comply with GDPR, which is European's privacy law. And it's almost the direct opposite of what this act is doing. Um, it's essentially trying to give control back to users of their data, whereas this is saying, no, we own your data and we don't really care what vulnerabilities mm. we create. Because, I mean, we've talked about this before, but but you know from your time at... Uh, at a firm which does a lot of pen testing and security stuff, all you need is one chink in the armour, you know, one bit of weakness. and, And it's quite easy to exploit as a hacker. And that's essentially what a lot of the argument about this bill has been. It's been like, okay, we understand the national security stuff. We understand that governments, that's a big deal for them. And whether it's a legitimate concern or not, that's the excuse that a lot of people use to cut down on people's freedoms. But what we don't understand is why you would ask us to create these blanket vulnerabilities, these this data going elsewhere, when you know that it is getting harder and harder to secure our systems and harder and harder to manage our data.
0: And with the secrecy that this all has to go under, I mean, you have to build all these capabilities in secret. You can't tell your users, yeah. the techies who you're getting to build this there are a few people who are going to be in the know and this is going to be valuable information. So it leaves a lot of room for corruption in the process as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it really does. And it's, look, a lot of these breaches that happen are because, you know, an employee of a company or a government employee has left their computer on a train or something. Um, But imagine if it is the computer that has the security keys for all of these backdoors into mm. all of these companies you know and 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 these companies are being asked to leave the door open or to to use software where they know the door is left open mm. um, they're being asked to to build algorithms which allow any security agency to decrypt data on their their system when most companies are they need to have end-to-end encryption to guarantee that things are going to be safe for their users yeah it's it's really tough mate and there are some limitations. Like it's not, it's not like this act has come out and there aren't some limitations to the power. The problem is the limitations almost completely cancel out this bill if you take them to for what they actually mean. The big limitations in this bill are around creating systemic weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and this actually wasn't in the bill at the start, but there was so much criticism that the government kind of said, "Oh, okay, we better put in something that will that will, you know, at least assuage some of their doubts." Mm-hmm. And so a new section was put into the bill which stated that a notice couldn't have the effect of either requiring a provider to build systems or systemic weaknesses or vulnerabilities into a form of electronic protection or prevent them from rectifying one which is caused by the notice. And it also specified that building a new decryption capability in electronic protections or rendering systemic methods of authentication or encryption less effective isn't permissible. So that's basically anything that could jeopardize security of information held by another person or create a material risk that data could be accessed by an unauthorized third party. Now, that's a whole bunch of of legal speak and bill speak, but basically it means that you can't build something into your system which will make it weaker or represent a real risk to your users.
0: So basically, you can't do what they're asking you to do. That's exactly right. So weird. Um,
1: And this is is the big issue with the fact that this bill was rushed through, and also the fact that it seems like most of the people involved in this bill don't really understand how security works. And there was that famous saying from Malcolm Turnbull, our former Prime Minister, uh, which we had as one of our intros on the show. Uh, The laws of mathematics are... are, um very commendable, but the only law that applies in Australia is the law of Australia. But, uh, but yeah, it, 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 it goes directly against everything else the bill is saying. And so if I'm a, me as a lawyer, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, doesn't everything they're asking me to do either create a create a systemic weakness, jeopardise the security of information or create a material risk that the data could be accessed by a third party? That's what I would always be saying. And so I think what that really means is that any time a notice is served on a company with this at least for the next maybe 6 or 12 months it's probably likely going to it's probably going to devolve into an argument about whether this notice constitutes a vulnerability weakness or risk the company would always be saying that it does the government will be saying that it doesn't and I think we're going to have some very long and protracted court battles about this stuff but in secret but in secret this is the biggest issue is that uh, there's there's provisions within this act and you can look through the act and see them for yourselves where there are serious penalties and I'm talking imprisonment and huge fines for talking about this to anyone except your legal representative.
0: It's crazy. I mean, Open Whisper Systems, which is uh, which uh, this is the company that run the Signal messaging app, they wrote an article after this thing came in saying, look, good luck with that basically. Yeah. Um, Good luck trying to do that because all kinds of politicians and um, use Signal to message each other encrypted messages and yep. talk corruption and all that kind of stuff. Um, and
1: oh, but politicians are expressly cl- inc- excluded from this whole act. Really, they're the only party within this whole act who are expressly excluded from its application. So you can go into the bill, and it's only a few lines, but um, you can. There's a tiny little section. Oh, jeez, about two-thirds of the way. It's a 230-page bill. It's huge. Mm. Um, But it's about two-thirds of the way through, and you will find a, a little exclusion which basically says that parliamentarians, none of this applies to them. They have complete immunity. Hmm. And these are the people who are meant to represent us and kind of be the extension of us and have the same standards applied to them as are applied to us. And I just find it very ironic that... This bill, which will likely ruin the Australian software industry. I, I, I can't see a way that this, this will not ruin this because no international company will want to do business with an Australian mm. company when these kinds of powers are given to the government. Mm. So this bill is going to ruin the lives of a huge amount of people, ruin the, the companies, but the parliamentarians are completely exempt.
0: Wow. So, so I can see a few different um, impacts on other countries apart from australia so yeah you firstly got the loss of trust in this kind of software but secondly if you're in a five eyes country or even if you're not in a five eyes country you can now assume let's say you live in the uk and you use facebook all they need to do is the government of australia so they just need to tell facebook look build in a back door for us and send that to us that yep. goes to the australian government then the australian government well, the Australian intelligence can send that to all of their five eyes as part of their sharing agreement.
1: Well, yeah, and and the the law expressly says that it it includes foreign enforcement. Wow. So they can get a brief from a foreign country and carry it out here and apply it to an international company.
0: Wow. So that just means this actually opens up. It's not just Australia. It affects people from a bunch of countries. Yeah. So, yeah, what should I do if I'm a bit concerned about this?
1: So, look, there are some measures that you can take to minimize the impact of the bill. Obviously, the first thing to do is write to your local parliamentary member and voice your displeasure um, if you think that's going to have any use at all, which I don't think it will. Um, So, some things you can do right now. If you're a company that's involved in this stuff or if you're an employee of a company or a decision-maker in a company that any way touches the internet or technology, even if you're a hardware manufacturer... This can be uh, caught by that, especially if you're in websites as well. That's another big one. Basically, what you want to do is start taking some measures to mitigate this. So you can look at, for example, if there's a way to outsource parts of your data management to an external international third party who can't be compelled to break encryption, consider using end-to-end encryption because if you use end-to-end encryption and you don't hold the keys, you can't be asked to assist. You'd have to be asked to create the capability. And, uh, and that will take longer, and you can also have the argument. It's a bit, a bit bit easier of an argument to have than the assistance notice. I say as well, consider you should really strongly consider getting a cybersecurity firm involved, especially if you're a software company or a development company, you've got software. Get them to undertake a full review of your operations and harden them as much as possible, and then get them to do a report. Now, what that means, if you've got a report from a cybersecurity company about your systems... If the government comes knocking with a request like this, you have a report which talks about the vulnerabilities of your system, the the complexities of your system. You also have a firm who knows your system very, very well. And it's, there's a generally a 30 day period where you where you can consult and you can you can um, reject or ask for a review or whatever after you get one of these notices. If you're asking a cybersecurity firm to come in, investigate your system, do a report, and make some recommendations within 30 days, first of all, that will I don't know whether any cybersecurity firm can do it that soon. But also, you're not actually allowed to share this notice with anyone who isn't your legal representative or who already doesn't know your systems. So it would actually be quite hard for you under the legislation to to bring in an external third-party cybersecurity firm who aren't already involved in your systems. Mm. Now, if you've had them do a report, then you can provide that in a response with your notice and you could also pull them in. I'd talk to your lawyer about this and have them basically do like a supplemental report about what this would do to your security. Because the the key here is showing that it's going to create a systemic weakness, a vulnerability, or it's going to be a risk. And I think that you are always going to have to put in a dispute with this and say it's going to create those three things. But it's a lot better if you've had a firm do that review for you and talk about what it... You can even ask them, can you please contemplate what getting a technical assistance notice or a technical capability notice would do for us? Would that create a systemic weakness? And they'll say yes. They'll always say yes. So, that's. Uh, I think that's something that you, you really need to look at doing as well. And to be honest, uh, I, if you're an Australian company, I'd seriously consider moving your operations overseas and just not shutting up shop here, but pushing as much of that overseas as you possibly can. And if you're an international company, I'd be questioning whether you actually want to be doing business in Australia at mm. all. Uh, as sad as that is to say, and it's not something I'd... I i do not want to send people away from Australia, but I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that our government's using 1984 as a playbook at this point. And until they stop doing that, I don't know why you'd want to do business here. Mm. while this bill's in place.
0: So it looks like, yeah, if you use any software which has users in Australia, so uh, pretty much any company, um, expect that that is now spied on, and so you're being spied on. Whether you're Australian or not, doesn't matter. Um, But yeah, it's just nice to know that you just have to do what the Stasi says. There's not really a lot you can do in your defence. There's some things you can try and do to mitigate, but yeah, it looks like it's going uh, downhill from here.
1: It's full full authoritarianism.
0: Mm, yeah, you know. It's an interesting quote you shared on when you were posting it to LinkedIn when it came out. You said it was a quote from Orwell, and you said, and then it got to a point where there was the only space you had to yourself was between your ears or something
1: like that. Yeah, yeah. The the only oh yeah, it was, it was something like that. But it was it was so true, you know, because we we see this with the increase in surveillance and now this kind of stuff. Yeah, man, it's getting to that point. It's really tough, and we don't have a bill of rights either in Australia. I think that's if if you saw this enacted in America, then there might there would be some some challenges under the bill of rights. It's like, well, this this quite clearly infringes on that, um, but we don't have the advantage of that here.
0: And we we're, we're the guinea pigs for the rest of you. So if you're not in Australia, it's coming to you pretty soon. Yeah, uh, look forward to it. Yeah.
1: Oh, but on, sorry. On a personal level as well, I think this is. Just more of a case for encrypting everything. Like, do as many things in your daily life where it touches technology under encryption. Mm. So, Signal is a great one. And they've come out and said, yep, we're not going to be complying with this. They're great. They're end-to-end encrypted. Um, WhatsApp, if you use WhatsApp, that's owned by Facebook. They say it's end-to-end encrypted. But if they get served with one of these things, they'll comply.
0: I'm pretty sure one of the WhatsApp founders actually left because apparently they were weakening the security. Yeah. I believe that's go. true.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's owned by Facebook. You know? So you got to just assume. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And look, even Telegram. Like, Telegram or uh, have already had issues with the Russian government. Yeah, I'm sure someone will be knocking on their door as well.
0: So ostens- ostensibly, we were doing this. This bill was being done to protect us against terrorists mm. and pedos. But now what seems likely is that if you're a terrorist or a pedo and you're looking at this, you're like, okay, well, I'll no longer use whatsapp to message my creepy things to my you know terrorist colleague yeah um so it's just going to drive the criminals further underground isn't it
1: well it's it's what always happens you know this this it boggles my mind that in 2018 we've still got bills like this coming out because it's been proven time and time again that this kind of heavy-handedness doesn't work it just pushes people underground Mm. you know it just makes people hunker down further and further
0: well, yeah, that's that's the the good news for Christmas, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, just in time. It's a great Christmas, present. save us from terrorists. <laughs> in this week's privacy and security section, there's a really cool website worth going on. What is it?
1: Uh, so, it's called Have I Been Pwned? And uh, How do you it's spell not that? Uh, So, P W N E D. So, if you've come up through computer gaming in the last 10, 15 years, you would have seen the word pwned. It basically means owned, but we put a P in there instead of a an O. But the site isn't about computer gaming at all. It's about your emails and your personal details.
0: So, on this website, um, you can put in your email address, and it tells you if your email address turns up in any of these data breaches or account hacks so when LinkedIn got hacked and 164 million accounts got breached it'll tell you if it was um, involved so my email address has been pwned on seven different sites the bit.ly hack the discus hack the dropbox hack um, the LinkedIn hack the yahoo hack of 2012
1: wow there you go my email has not been pwned at all
0: is that your new one it's a new one
1: (laughs) I'm going to put in my old one. Let's have a look. This is actually, if if you, it's definitely worth going and having a look because if you use. Um,
0: All my email addresses have been.
1: Yeah. If you, if you use uh, like a password across a number of accounts, mm-hmm. it's really <gasps> worth going
0: and looking at this. So, my name, passwords and physical addresses were hacked in 2017.
1: Wow. Okay. And I've been in a number of breaches too.
0: Nice. Physical address. Great. There you go.
1: This is a this is why it's really good. We always say use different passwords for every single account. Um, we've talked about mail before as well. Mail are essentially you have a different email for each account, so mm-hmm. it can't be tied to you know, a global email that you use for a number of accounts. That's a lot of reasons why they're really good to have because mm. you know, if one's breached, then it's only one email, or if one's breached, it's only one password. Because what will happen in these leaks is that an email will get leaked and it'll get tied to a password, and basically, then people can run scripts and those scripts just try and log into like any site with these details and try and get access. Mm. And it's also why two factor authentication is really good as well because mm. even if they get your email and your password, if you've got two factor authentication on it, then you can. Uh, you're protected as well mm. because they can't get your your two FA token.
0: So yeah, all this tells you: Have you been involved in a hack? Have you been yeah at risk there? All this does is highlights the need for you to use good password management. Uh, what's the tool that you use again? LastPass. LastPass.
1: Yeah, yeah. LastPass is really is really good. There's other ones out there as well. I think Dashlane's another one. There's a few other different ones, but yeah, LastPass is great because it will actually tell you. Uh, if your email password, if your password is used over more than one account mm. and it gives you like a tool to try and fix it all automatically. So, it'll try and log in and fix if it's supported in the API. It'll try and fix that password with a new one for you and then update your account and mm. it's just really, really good. So, yeah, check that out. To have I Been is interesting too because there's actually a lot of places that have been hacked that you probably haven't even heard of. There's actually a couple here that I didn't realize had even been hacked and... Now I'm looking at it, I didn't know that Kickstarter had been hacked, for example. But
0: So yeah, it's, it's, Have I Been Pwned looks at whether your email address or email addresses, if you use all the email addresses you've used, have been involved in a in a hack or data breach across 333 websites, 5.6 million accounts, um, and yeah, whether your data has been pasted on the internet for all to see.
1: Mm. So yeah, check it out, see how many times you've been pwned.
0: If your podcast player has any kind of ratings function, please feel free to spam us with a five-star rating or a four-star rating. (laughs) It does help,
1: though. It does help. The the more ratings we get, the higher we move up the, the rankings. Uh, the more likely it is that new people can find the podcast.
0: So you can find us at FOMO.show.
1: You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram.
0: Follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show.
1: And Facebook at Facebook.com slash
0: The FOMO Show. YouTube, FOMO.show slash YouTube.
1: That's it for us here at The FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe on your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember... No fun. Drinking a lot of water, man. It's just amazing how many of these breaches don't get announced Mm -hmm. until well after they've happened, isn't it? They
0: keep it real quiet and they don't like to talk about it. Yeah. You don't see Yahoo raving on a regular about how they got (laughs) demolished. (laughs)
1: Hello. (laughs) Hello. It's me,
0: Mexico. See, that's something, you just need a robot to do all that rubber stamping, mate. You just need automated judges. Yes, 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 yes. Spy on me, spy on me, spy on me. <laughs> He's one that's far more interesting than some, you know, missives from some European Frenchman. Um, love the French. Very submissive people.
1: You know, and what does
0: it matter? Like, uh, these dates are arbitrary.
1: It's true. December twenty-five, December twenty-six.
0: What's the difference? It's really, the you difference. You can miss your tax return by a few days, but can you? Well, I don't know. Some people can.